Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. Mm-hmm. And we want interdependent study to be a space we're always learning with one another, hey, um, hey. which we've been doing for 100 episodes. That's right. Uh, and Damien, you're up this week. Uh, what are you bringing to the table today on our 100th episode? I'm so excited. This is wild. 100 yeah. episodes. I know. Good on us. Only took us a couple years and a little bit. That's right. Um, well, happy 100th episode to you, my mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. Um, for our 100th episode, um, I have brought a book to the table for us to talk about. Um, the book is called As Black as Resistance. Finding the Conditions for Liberation. And it was written by Zoe Zamudzi and William C. Anderson and features a really great uh, forward that was written by Miriam Kaba. Um, the book actually was published back in 2018 by our friends over in AK mm-hmm. Press, uh, but I think it gained some additional popularity in and around 2020, given sort of the context of that year. And, um, you know, I This was a great book, right? And it's totally a worthwhile read. If folks haven't heard about it or checked it out yet, uh, I would definitely encourage you to do so. I think at its core, this book is all about the notion of resistance and Mm -hmm. what resistance has looked like throughout the history of this country, especially for black people and especially in response to things like white supremacy and racism and violence and, Mm -hmm. and oppression and the prison industrial complex and and so on and so forth, right? And so the book really explores what kinds of radical resistance we actually need in order to transform our conditions and actually achieve liberation for all people. Um, And again, this book was great. I thought there was a tremendous amount of profound wisdom in it. And so I think there's a lot that we can talk about today. So uh, here we are in episode 100. I'm excited that we got yeah. to read this book and and for our conversation today. Um, so where do you want to start? What did you think? Yeah. So, um, well, I, one, I wanted to revisit, um, not revisit, but talk about 100 episodes real quick. It hey. feels um, overwhelming to be at this point, to be honest. Like, we, we've done this 100 times. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> One thing I just want to, I guess, share is that we recently crested 5,000 total plays wow. of this of this podcast, um, which, uh, you know, if you do some quick math, that's about 50 per um, episode, episode, which is really cool. Yes. Um, so thanks to all of you all for listening, for joining us on this uh, journey as we continue to try to learn and unlearn stuff. I love together. it. So, yes, yeah. thank you. Um so yeah, back to the book. Um, such a good read. And it got into the ways that I think blackness has had to be grounded in anarchism. Mm. Right. Um mm-hmm. and and by that, you know, we don't mean chaos, uh, as right t- things are typically described as anarchy when there's uh, seemingly la- a lack of um organization yes. to stuff. Um, but we mean specifically the actual political philosophy that is about creating cooperative communities and sort of uh avoiding 
unnecessary hierarchy um, or the coercion that comes with that hierarchy. Yes. Yes. Um, and so that kind of cooperation has been necessary for the survival in the face of oppression, as you mentioned, specifically in the U.S., but around the globe as well. And it's in f- because the U.S. specifically has enforced a very strict racial hierarchy on black folks. Yes. Um, I think this book you know, does a lot to critique that, but does so much to critique the intersecting systems of oppression and control that influence all of our day-to-day lives in different ways from capitalism to um, patriarchy to uh, all kinds of other like um, aspects of those overarching systems as well. Um, so this was a really great holistic look at how all of these things kind of intersect with one another. That's such a great point. It's such a uh, a great way to describe it, like this holistic look at what's yeah. going on, right? And 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 I'm I'm so glad you brought up that point about sort of, you know, their argument that blackness needs to be centered in anarchism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really did appreciate their holistic look at sort of how these systems of oppression and all the isms that we know of and that exist in the world um, and the state, right? The, yep. the state's role in all of this, right? Um, and in black people's lives and indigenous people's lives mm-hmm. and, and really all of our lives. So um, I think they did such a, a, a great job providing us that, that context. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most direct <laughs> and poignant statements that they made actually in the first chapter of this book that I, that I highlighted and I had to just sort of sit with. And I want, so I wanted to share it. It was this quote, the black American condition today is an evolved condition directly connected to the history of slavery. Mm -hmm. And that will continue to be the case as long as the United States remains an ongoing settler project, nothing short of a complete dismantling of the American state as it presently exists can or will disrupt this. Yeah. Right. And like, I think that reality is fact and that fact is reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the book is so good because for me, they don't hold back any punches like throughout the book. They don't hold back any punches um, in presenting sort of our history and the reality of our conditions of our society and what that truly means for black people or folks with oppressed identities. And yep. I think we need more of that. We need to not dance around the topic or, or, you know, whatever it might be, right? Like this book was just an unflinching look at the reality of the situation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it took it at a, at a big picture level, uh, and, yes. uh, you know, walk through some of that history. Um, and I, I love the, the sort of intersection that they take to with anti-blackness and, uh, settler colonialism yes. as well, I think is a really important, um, sort of intersecting analysis, analysis yes. where you bring those things together to understand the totality of, of the impact of that. Um, absolutely. I, so one of the concepts that I, in the book that was relatively new to me, but I think um, an important lens that okay. we can use uh, when looking at the way our society and culture in the U.S. has been organized is necropolitics, ah. um, which they define as, quote, the capacity of the state to dictate who lives and who dies who is understood as having a right or claim to life and who is relegated to inhumanity and social death. Mm. They specifically talk about it in the context of blackness and how every space inhabited by black people is a space in which black life is relegated to die. Um, And so they go in to talk about this more uh, in the context of gentrification and the violence that is present in that process. Mm. Um, And I want to, you know, connect reflect on how much of this is connected to our 
violent colonial and enslaving history in the U.S. and how we relegate all kinds of people who are deemed marginal to their own spaces outside of the acceptable settler, white, middle, and upper-class cisgender and heterosexual centers of power. Mm. Um, you know, there's this undercurrent of you're not welcome here. Go back to the space we let you have. Uh, and then when that space is desirable, those systems of power take it back. Take it back. Uh, and it's oh. happened over and over and over again to people who the U.S. has decided can be thrown away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm grateful to have this new to me term, necropolitics, to describe this ongoing process of sort of disposal uh, and then reclamation of the space yes. that they have um, that, that they not that they have like that. Right. That has been thrown to them as a bone of like a crumb um, of something to use to survive on. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think um, one of the things that I've always appreciated you talk about here on this podcast and, uh, you know, we talk about it outside of this, too, is just this idea of you've always been connected to this idea of disposability, right? And the mm. ways in which that has shown up throughout our history. And yeah. it, and it is, it always gets me because it is a real uh, reality of our, of our society, right? And a real reality of um, these systems and the state, right? And, and, and just our reality. And so to have, I think this term really connects all of that together as you talk yeah. about. And um, yeah, I, it's such an important concept um and and reality to recognize about our our country right yeah. and mm -hmm. the reality of our situation and the connection there to gentrification was really great um, i'm glad that they um you know went that route um for sure um yeah i mean because if you think about it, it's a it's sort of repeated systems of like colonization yes where we are um you know relegating people to marginal places and then saying mm -hmm. oh no we actually need that we need space that, back we want that and space back. Uh, yeah. that's that's kind of what it's always been yeah. in this country yeah right so in in different shades of that color right yeah uh, absolutely yeah. yeah so i i appreciate that i i appreciate so much of the connections there um, and what they presented in the book, to, you know, to sort of what I talked about earlier. And I think all of it's connected to why black liberation and, mm -hmm. and collective liberation is so critical to transforming our society, right? Like, mm -hmm. so there's another quote that I pulled out that I think connects to this. Um, they say this, quote, black liberation poses an existential threat to white supremacy because the existence of free black people necessitates a complete transformation and destruction of this settler state. The United States cannot exist without black subject subjection. And in this way, articulated racial formations revolve in large part around anti-black regulations. It is impossible to reform the system of racial capitalism. Those who believe in and operate according to the laws of white supremacy are not solely white people, though beneficiaries are largely and mostly visibly white. The supporters of this system include an internally oppressed multiracial coalition, mm -hmm. right? And and I think there's a great connection in there in that quote, what you just talked about, um, yeah. and 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 again to what you've talked about before around this idea of disposability, this notion of disposability in this country. Um, so I think all of that 
for me is a really compelling reason and, and, and rationale for why we do this work, why believe why we believe in things like abolition, right? Yeah. You know, and, and certainly uh, collective liberation for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I love that quote. Um, yeah. I, I almost brought it myself. Hey, uh-huh. <laughs> great minds. So another moment in this book that I think connects back to our conversation about Maurice Mitchell's article, Building Resilient Organizations. Oh, any more any more opportunity to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, and how our organizations fall into the traps um, that are set for it by the very conditions we're working against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we you know, replicate those conditions because of the traps. They say, quote, building a new and innovative left should be a primary concern. But it is important to remain free from the constraints of left sectarian dogma, cults of personality, and selfish jostling to be recognized as, quote, movement leaders. We can organize humbly and horizontally and resist the stratification of more easily destructible movements past. And we do not need leaders in any classical sense. Mm. And this speaks so much to how easy it is to repeat hierarchies that we've all experienced we fall into the same patterns of control and submission that we see around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're hard to resist because we don't have many models that have created new ways of being and working and organizing together that are all that well known. So we repeat what we see yes. when we're even when we're organizing together against these conditions. Yes. And these systems. Right. Um, yeah. I love that. I love the connection back to our friend Maurice Mitchell's work, um, mm-hmm. but also there's a lot of connection there to this idea of, you know, we we don't know what we don't know, and mm-hmm. all we know is what we know, right? And so unless we're able to find our new North Star, right, yep. dream of something better and different, um, it will it will always be what it is, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, right? And that's not acceptable, right? And that's yep. not what we want. Yep. So I love that. I love that quote. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, I think we have only scratched the surface of all the things that are in this incredible book. Um, Definitely. But let's shift our conversation over to application here in this 100th episode of ours, you know, and talk about how we're going to apply what we've learned from this book and talked about today in our in our daily lives. Um you know, I mentioned this at the start of this episode, but I, I just think there's so much wisdom in this book. And and Miriam Kaba actually talked about this in the Ford, but all of the wisdom in this book really reminds me of and, and centers around this idea that we have to recognize that we're all we've got, right? Yeah. And as we think about all of the forces of hate and oppression that exist in the world, that we are actively fighting against white supremacy, patriarchy, racism, sexism, transphobia, what xenophobia, fascism, violence in all of its forms, really. Uh, this idea that we're, we're all we've got is such a powerful notion. It's a it's a North Star, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last week with the Freedom Papers by our friends at the Dream Defenders. So to me, the idea that we're, we're all that we've got is the application from this book and and what I want to keep at the forefront of the work that we're doing, at the forefront of the why of the work that we're doing. Yeah. So um, I just, I, I really appreciated her thinking there and, and her yeah. talking about that in the forward of this book. Um, yeah. 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 I love that, um, that uh, axiom or that. Yes. Right. Like the, we're all we've gotten. Yeah. We think about think about things differently when you think about it. That oh, way, absolutely. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, my application for this week is a quote from page 17. Okay. Um, at least 17 in the ebook. 
Ah, uh, so good if you're point. on paperback, I don't know. <laughs> good uh, luck. <laughs> our ideas of what freedom and liberation mean to us must rest on something sturdier than the shoulders of charismatic and seemingly progressive politicians. We must define those for ourselves. We should not wait for the magic words we want to hear come out of someone else's mouth when we can designate, dictate, and deliver change ourselves. We should not sit back and wait for politicians to grant us our humanity, our humanity that has always existed, and it should not be left to elections, political terms, or waiting periods to determine whether or not we will see it actualized. That's Um, good. That's really good. Yeah. We have to collectively build power within our communities through coalitions and collaborations. Um, So much of what was important to me in our discussion um, about the the article between Kianga Yamada Taylor, Derek Purnell, and Olufemi Taiwo mm. was how we need to have political homes. Yes, um, we need to find places where we can contribute to movement. Um, I think it's it's bleak out there. It feels bleak out there, um, and my hope lies in all of us finding ways to contribute to our collective liberation. Yes, um, we all have skills that can contribute to movement, um, and. Miriam Kaba recently uh, tweeted some about how we all have skills. If even if you don't think you do, yes, there are skills that you have. Um, we all have to connect them into political homes to turn us toward collective liberation beyond what's considered progressive today. Because what's considered progressive is so, um, f- like flexible. Yeah. Um. So if we're not defining those values for ourselves collectively of what that liberation looks like what it is that we need as people um and you know what progressive looks like is actually based on what is normal in your society right so we have to think about it in those terms too where for the terms are dictated elsewhere we then play to those terms right we have to dictate the terms collectively absolutely i love that i also really um, am drawn to what you talked about around like we all have skills that can yeah. contribute to movement works because I think and I was literally just at a happy hour talking about this like sometimes everything feels too daunting and sometimes mm-hmm. folks don't always know aren't uh, able to be at the forefront of whatever yeah. organizing work is happening. I, they're not the mm-hmm. ones who are able to go door to door and knock on doors and and do that kind of work, but they can be in their homes writing letters or writing postcards or or, or, or doing sort of more, you know, behind the scenes work. Um, and so we all can play a role. We all have skills that can contribute. I think that's such an important piece of this, especially like if you're listening and you don't know how to get involved or where to get involved. It doesn't necessarily have to be your own sort of the front lines <laughs> doing the organizing. There are plenty yeah. of people with those skills to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to sort of, you know, get in where you fit in, right? Yep. And use your skills to contribute. So I I love that. I love, and I, look at you connecting this book to all of the great things we've been reading recently and talking mm-hmm. about recently. You get a, you get a gold star for today. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, with that, let's move on to homework. What ideas do we have for uh, what we want to do? Excuse once me. We I've leave. already gotten my gold star. I don't have to do homework well, today. Well, I don't think that's how this works. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I cannot. Um, I, for me, I really can't overstate how much I enjoyed this book, how yep. much I learned from it. 
Um, and so I want to learn more from both of the authors of this book. Um, so my homework is to do just that. William C. Anderson has actually written another book called The Notion of No Map. I'm sorry, one more time. The Nation on No Map, mm-hmm. uh, which looks really good. And so I'd love to read that and add that to our list. Um, and Zoe Zamudzi has written pieces for Vice and The New Inquiry that I would love to check out as well. So yeah. I'm just going to add some some things to our long reading list. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, how about you? Yeah, so uh, this this book references a book called Against the Fascist Creep uh, by Alexander Reed Ross, yeah. uh, which is about the conditions and ideologi- ideologies that allow fascism to creep into society. Mm. Um, so I'm going to add that to our very long reading list uh, because it seems super relevant Talk for us about to discuss. relevant, yeah. yes. It was also written back in 2017, um, so mm. well, published back in 2017. So yes. specifically... It's in the context of the then very recent election of Donald Trump. Yes. And since then, there's been so much more um, kind of fascist creep as we consider um, all these things that are happening in um, states all over. uh, Really? States all all over over the country. Absolutely. What a great book to add to our list. I love it. Very Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. All right. Well, here we are wrapping up episode 100. Sure are. Um, Aaron, my friend, you're mm-hmm. up next week. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I'm bringing a couple of articles about Stop Cop City, mm. uh, which is a movement against a planned police training facility um, that would basically be a, a, a recreation of a city for tactical military-esque police training. Yeah. Um, so – you know, urban warfare for the police, um, an urban warfare playground for the yes. police to play in um, that would cost millions of dollars and also in Atlanta specifically uh, tear down uh, some forest there. Mm. Uh, so there's environmental impacts, too. Um, the first article is from the Bitter Southerner um, called The Forest for the Trees. Uh, and another is from Prism, and that's called The Fight to Stop Cop City Has Decades Old Roots. Um, and so these... Massive training facilities have big environmental impacts, as I mentioned, um, and also continue to pour millions of dollars into police departments that continue to na- continue to enact violence on the citizens of their cities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the discussion right now is about Atlanta. That's where the movement for this is right now. That's where that home is. Uh, but there are similar proposals in other cities across the country. One I heard about recently is Pittsburgh um, that would be more expensive, larger, um, and have a different kind of impact than the one in Atlanta. So I, that's it, what we're talking about next week. I'm looking forward to that. I think this has really gained some you know, momentum and traction here recently on social media and sort of um, you know, the, the work folks are doing to try to amplify this, uh, the um, Stop Cop City movement. Um, and yep. so I want to learn more about it. Um, you know, I, my initial thought, not knowing anything really, is just this idea of millions of dollars being poured into mm-hmm. this kind of action, this, this, this thing, um, is not what we need no. <laughs> at yeah. all. So, uh, thanks for finding it and for bringing it to the table for us next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, With that, we want to thank you all for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study for the 100th time. Mm -hmm. We so appreciate you. Uh, You know what we want you to do, but in case you've forgotten, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on the socials, check us out on YouTube, and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes, thank you so much for listening 100 times. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you 
next week.